On today's episode of Neyland's Basement, we'll look back at Week 10, take a look at some potential playoff paths, and preview Week 11. Welcome everybody into the week 11 edition of Neyland's Basement. I am Tucker Harlan alongside Devin Hoke, Dominic Throngard. Guys, how are we doing today? I was miserable, quite frankly. Obviously, tough weekend, tough weekend to deal with, but the afternoon had some delights in it, didn't it? It sure did. It really did. Devin? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, watching the game, which, of course, we're going to get into right away here, it was very frustrating at times. So in the moment, unfortunate. But, I mean, again, afterwards, you know, I looked at it in a positive light. And I think with all that we're seeing now coming out and, and with the fact even before today that Tennessee's odds are still really, really good as they should be, then I'm not really too upset about it. Yeah, so speaking of Tennessee, we'll get right into that because we got to get that out of the way. Uh, it's unfortunate, but we have to talk about it. Uh, number one, Tennessee falls at number three, Georgia, 27-13. to 13. Uh, Georgia really just had their way offensively in the first half. I mean, Stetson Bennett got going not just on the ground but through the air. I mean, he ran for a touchdown, threw some deep balls as well, was not expecting that out of him. Uh, and then defensively I think Kirby Smart lied to the media he said that there was not going to be a way to stop Tennessee but at the same time they took away the big plays so in essence they did stop Tennessee yeah and I mean this game was just tough from start to finish and I have to give Georgia all the credit in the world for this one as much as it pains me to say it they did a really nice job and they're the best team in the nation right now there's no doubt about it this is not the team that we saw play Mizzou this is the team we saw play Oregon they just they had their way with us, especially in the first half. And Tennessee, you know, we just had a really hard time on the offensive line, especially holding back penalties and just tons of little mistakes that kept eating the team alive. And then the crowd noise there, great environment there. It couldn't be helped. And obviously the players did have a lot to comment about that. Uh, I remember Jalen Hyatt saying that the crowd noise did heavily affect them. Uh, Hendon Hooker, though, as always, no excuses type guy. But I guess we just have to wait to see him again. Well, I mean, Georgia completely changed up their defensive game plan from what we've seen all season. So heading into this matchup, they were ranked last in the SEC in sacks. And a lot of that was because the secondary is so good at Georgia, they felt like they don't have to blitz very often because they can only rush a few guys and the quarterback on the other side is, is still not going to be able to find anybody. So instead, losing Nolan Smith... For the season, I think they decided, okay, let's completely change up the game plan. Let's blitz heavily, much more heavily than we have all season. And it worked out masterfully. What did they almost nearly double their sack count in yeah, one they, game? They probably did. It, it, crazy. And it makes me wonder why they weren't doing that the whole season. But, you know, maybe they will from here on out because it worked so well. But uh, it, yet the secondary was still so good. I mean, so many of these times. You're thinking, okay, Hendon, you've got time. you got to throw it. But based on everything I've seen, nobody was open. And Keely Ringo, I mean, he had a masterful game, the incredible interception. He was blanketing guys, and, and that was true for all their defensive backs. Yeah, I mean, the truth about that play with Keely Ringo, I mean, the final stat line for Hendon Hooker, uh, 195 yards, no touchdowns in the interception. That interception, I think, was more of just a good play by Ringo than it was a bad throw by Yeah, Hooker. one of the best Definitely. I've seen. Yeah. yeah, I mean, anytime you throw the ball to Cedric Tillman like that, he's usually going to go out and grab that, but Ringo just overpowered him, and it's unfortunate for Hooker that the game ended up like that, but there were a lot of questionable decisions by Hooker to not throw the ball when he did have some good time to throw it away. That's where I was most upset with Hendon. I still think he did a great job for the most part. It's just there were a lot of times where he sat in the pocket and didn't really try to extend the play how he has the potential ability to with his, you know, he has great he has great running ability. He just doesn't like to use it too much to extend plays. He usually, if he goes, he's running, but we didn't see a whole lot of that, and it was, it was just frustrating. 
Yeah, I, I was upset about that too, but then like everything that they've shown in the broadcast booth, like when they were reviewing plays, it was like you look at it and it's like, okay, but nobody's open though. I mean, like literally nobody got open every single one of these times. You had time and just eventually that hard blitz came through our offensive line. I mean, they could only hold up so long. Yeah, he's got to throw it away, though, if he has exactly. the time like that. Yep. Yeah, it, it wasn't necessarily, to me, it, it didn't look like that. It was He was just out of sync with his receivers. It's just the fact that they weren't able to go deep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there were a couple throws deep down the field that he missed on just every now and again, but... Mm. Other than that, it, those those were game changers. Yeah. I mean, there was two because really people yeah. are going to look at the score and say, okay, they got dominated. That's not really true, though. I mean, if we the, the we, first we half was a domination, it, we'll yeah. put it that way. But, but the, the second, second half, half, Tennessee won different. the second half, seven yes. to three. And but if even if you go back to the first half, there was at least two, maybe three moments, if I'm trying to remember correctly, where Hendon Hooker just barely overthrew yeah. his receivers. If he got it to those guys, it would have been touchdowns. Well, one of those was Princeton Fant and. Yeah. You know, he hasn't got the speed of like a Jalen Hyatt or a Cedric no, Tillman. And that one so. was a bit out of bounds. But yeah. the first two before that, it, they, those were to some elite receivers. If they caught it in stride, would have been two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a completely different game here. Yeah, and honestly, that that's that should have been safety. I think we can all agree that it should have been a safety. Yeah, I, yep. I think Gary Danielson was very offended that that was not a safety on yeah. the live broadcast. Oh my goodness, though, having to listen to Gary Danielson is misery, though. It's oh, Stetson misery. Bennett is the greatest quarterback well, of well, all time. We've got a couple more years of it, and then he's off to the Big Ten where he belongs uh, as a Purdue <laughs> yeah. alum. So we won't dwell on this one too much more because like Dom said, some good things happen later on. We're going to look at one of those right now. Number 10 LSU won in overtime against number six, Alabama 32 to 31 in death Valley. First time they've won in death Valley against Bama in 12 years. Uh, watching this game, Bryce young was just really out of sync with his wide receivers for a lot of the first half. And you know, the stats weren't amazing for Jaden Daniels, but his feet just killed Alabama in the second half. That's what I felt like. And then, obviously, we saw what happened there with Brian Kelly wanting to go for it uh, or going for two down there in overtime. What did you guys think about this game? I just – I remember so vividly the moment when it was that LSU touchdown in overtime and, you know, it was going to be either the PAT or the two-point conversion. And in my head, I'm thinking, he's got to go for two. He just needs to put it away right now. And to my beautiful surprise, he actually makes that decision to do so. Because uh, usually I'm a proponent of people playing exciting football. I want to see him go for it on fourth. I want to see him go for two if they have the chance at the win. And Brian Kelly, giant balls, does it. And does it right, and they get it. And game's over. Gave him no chance to respond. It was the absolute right call. Even if he... Even if they don't get that, I still think that call's right every single time because you have the chance to put it away against a team that has the ability to score every single time in overtime. It's what you need to do. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I gained a huge amount of respect for Brian Kelly after this game, not just because of the fact that they won, but of course, as you just said, Dom, how they won. And, and, and you know, because before I thought he was the kind of guy that was going to play it safe, but he proved me wrong, and I absolutely love it. And the fans storming the field, I think that's great. I think any time, you know, because we talked, like, you know, to group me about, like, well, you know, should they do that? And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, anytime you beat a top 10 Alabama team at home, especially when you're down, when you're not favored to at all, and the fact that they're an arch rival of yours, I mean, absolutely, I, I think you storm the field there. I mean, they, they really earned that win. One of the best games uh, of the season so far, for sure. And I'm so happy that Alabama is out of the playoff race for only the second time. Yeah, I mean, an instant classic, to say the least. I mean, it feels like that happens every time Alabama loses, uh, unless maybe it was 2018 in the national championship against Clemson because that was a blowout. But, again, it feels great to see another team from the SEC will be going that is not called Alabama, Mm -hmm. and Alabama is not going to be the one going. So, I mean, obviously, they. what is it they say down there? It's it's just another Saturday if, if they win a game. Uh, that's not the case this year. Sorry, guys. Uh, moving on. Uh, number 23, Liberty, held on to win at Arkansas 21-19. to This is a very weird result. Uh, Liberty got up pretty early on. I think it was 21-3 to at one point. Arkansas had a chance to claw back but really couldn't do it. K.J. Jefferson threw two interceptions. Guys, what happened to the Hogs this week? 
they've got to be asking a lot of questions down there in Arkansas. I just, this is a bit of a disgraceful loss. I don't care that Liberty's ranked. You're at home. You're an SEC team. These are games you have to win. These are, these are the games that when you see them on the schedule years out, they're the cupcake games. This was not supposed to happen for Arkansas. And this entire season has felt like that for them. I don't know what's happening with Sam Pittman. We all thought he was a great coach. KJ Jefferson, he is a good quarterback. He, He's a little bit inconsistent, makes some stupid mistakes sometimes, but there's no reason this Arkansas team should be losing as much as they are. Yeah, well, I mean, part of it, I think, is attributed to this ridiculously tough schedule that Arkansas has played this season. I mean, they're out of conference, games being Cincinnati, Brigham Young on the road, Liberty, and, hey, Liberty, their only loss of the season is a one-point loss to Wake Forest, a one-point shootout loss. I mean, they are a really, really good team. Let's not pretend like Liberty's other games on the schedule besides Wake Forest are oh, good. terrible. Yeah. They're terrible. I, I mean, exactly. Yeah. But still, they are coached by Hugh Freeze. He's got a good team here. I'm shocked, really, that the score was this low. I thought it'd be a bit higher scoring considering the two teams that uh, were playing in this game. But, you know, we all picked Arkansas to win this one, I think because we expected K.J. Jefferson to be consistent yeah. and, and not make a huge amount of mistakes. And I think the spread was sitting at minus 14 and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was somewhere in that vicinity, yeah. and they got beat. So, I mean, that, that was shocking, to say the least, and especially given that the game was in Fayetteville mm-hmm. and that Hugh Freeze, I mean, historically against Arkansas, at least in his time at Ole Miss, just – was not anything special. I mean, I want to say he lost the last three in his time there. Two of those were in the seasons in which Ole Miss won nine and ten games. That's pretty much a ceiling Ole Miss team right there, which is shocking. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, very, very surprising result in Fayetteville. Okay, let's move over to one last SEC game. We won't go super in-depth on this one. I just really want to talk about the ending here. Mm -hmm. Kentucky outlasted Mizzou 21-17. to Toward the end of this game, I think it was with maybe like a minute to go or so, the Wildcats long snapper snapped the ball about 30 yards over their punter's head. The punter recovers it probably just inside the five-yard line, and he managed to get the punt off, and he was roughed. And the punter essentially won the game for Mizzou, or Kentucky rather, uh, Mizzou got the ball back later. I think it was with like 20 seconds left. They didn't get, they didn't have much time to do anything, and they were way down on their end of the field. But this is not a good loss for Mizzou because earlier in the day they had just extended Eli Drinkwitz's contract. I, that, that's just a horrible thing to happen. Yeah, just overall bad result for Mizzou. Just really, really unlucky to be honest because it's it's a weird rule how that works when the snapper snaps it over the punter and it does bounce around on the ground and he picks it back up. Yeah, and it's crazy because 30 yards behind the line of scrimmage is still considered the tackle box. Yeah, and I just think it shouldn't it the rule shouldn't be that way, but it is that way and so unfortunately that's one where you just have to say that's the rule book. It's unfortunate, but that's the case. Mizzou had a real shot at winning this and I just you got to be so upset as a Mizzou fan because this keeps happening for you. You get so close to beating these teams and you just don't finish. There's no finish from Drinkwitz and we haven't seen it in his time at Mizzou. So a little bit weird that they're extending him. But on the flip side, imagine if you end up winning even like 50% of those close games that he's been able to make happen against good teams. Mizzou would have a lot of respect, but it just hasn't happened. I don't know what needs to change. Yeah, I was I was shocked by the extension. I mean, before the season started, I really thought that if they don't win, if they don't at least go bowling, which was a long shot, that Drinkowitz would be gone. Instead, they're sitting at, what, four wins, and he's getting extended. Uh, oh, no, sorry, five five wins. Sorry. The whole thing is just getting mysterious extended. to me. But, but on one hand, I see that, well... He is recruiting extremely well, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But But, at the same time... But where are the wins? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't care how much you're recruiting. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt could recruit pretty well as well. With his McDonald's bags. (laughs) Exactly. And so, who knows with Drinkwitz. No, I'm not accusing of anything. But still, I mean, he's recruiting well, but you got to win. Like, where are the wins? That's that's exactly what I'm trying to say here. And so, to extend them after that... 
uh, you know, really tough. But, I mean, yeah, Missouri should have beat Auburn. They blew it. Missouri should have beat Kentucky here, but just very unlucky. Uh, I mean, I don't think that should have been called the way it was. Yes, the punter got injured, looked to be pretty badly. Uh, but, again, he had he still had the ball in his hands. In my opinion, if you're on the field, I don't care what position you are, kicker, punter, doesn't matter. If you're on the field with the ball in your hands, you're going to get tackled. So I, I, I don't You're going to get a hard hit. So he still had the ball in his hands. To me, I, I just don't get the call that way. Yeah, I, I think Kentucky fans were going into this game after what happened here in Neyland being <laughs> like, oh, we're going to beat Tennessee to how are we going to beat Mizzou? And fortunately, they found a way to beat Mizzou. Uh, that's that's just how the cookie crumbles, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to the Big Ten, Michigan State pulls off an upset against number sixteen Illinois, twenty three to fifteen. This game was in Champaign. Uh, the Illini, I think, outgained the Spartans here, but they did put the ball on the ground a couple different times. Uh, this was a good win for Michigan State, uh, considering everything the program's been through in the last week or so. Yeah, it's been a rough time for Michigan State with the uh, tunnel incident at Michigan, and then obviously Mel Tucker signing that huge extension and not being able to really perform so far. This is their first good win in a while, and it comes at a very needed time. This program has to they have to turn things around after an incident like that. And if you have any confidence in Mel Tucker, it's been reassured here for sure because Illinois has looked like a very good team up to this point. But unfortunate if you're an Illini fan and this was your year back, you thought you had a shot and maybe now it feels a little bit less so. Yeah, especially, I mean, as you mentioned, Dom, with the tunnel incident, that caused so many players to be suspended, so many key players for this game. I mean, Michigan State had to start backups all across the roster, had to go on the road and still found a way to win. Uh, That's got to be devastating for Illinois' confidence, and I'm sure Brett Bielema just ripped into the team after this uh, game because there's no reason to lose this one, Uh, especially if you're considering yourself to be a contender for that Big Ten title. Yeah, and I think they very much still are, but at the same time, it's still very disappointing, and you know, you still got to go through Michigan, and I believe Purdue is what they have next week, so it's going to be... It's going to be a pretty tough stretch of two games here for them, but they should be able to get things done against Northwestern, I suppose. So I still think the Big Ten West is very much still in their hands as long as they can do what they need to do. Uh, Let's flip to the other division now. Number two, Ohio State won at Northwestern 21-7. Why am I talking about this game? Well, it was a windy and rainy mess. Uh, There were winds blowing up to 40 miles an hour in one direction, so that – pretty much guided each team's offensive agenda throughout the course of the game. Uh, both of both teams threw for shy of 100 yards, which is expected on a day like that. Uh, does this game balance out a little bit what happened with Hendon Hooker in Athens just regarding the fact that C.J. Stroud was not able to have that kind of performance, or do you think that this was just an anomaly and the Heisman voting will look beyond that? This will 100% help balance it out, but what doesn't help Hendon's case is what Bo Nix did. Bo Nix has continued to perform really well, and unfortunately, if you're rooting for Hendon to get that Heisman, it's looking a lot tougher with how Bo Nix has been able to perform this year after that that first little mess there down in Atlanta. But with this game, I do want to point out, in the first half, for the majority of the first half, Northwestern led 7-0, went into halftime 7-7, This was ugly for Ohio State. It was not a good look at all. It does not matter if you cannot throw the ball. There is such a huge, massive talent gap between these two teams that if you're not winning the battle on the ground, you cannot call yourself a true contender. You should be able to easily get yards through the ground against a team that is so outclassed by the level of talent Ohio State has. I don't know what happened there for them. And obviously, Stroud was able to get a couple good runs in there, but... Uh, you should do a lot better against a team like Northwestern. One and seven, now one and eight, Northwestern. Yeah, sadly, sadly, Dom, uh, I'm going to have to disagree a little bit. Unfortunately, I mean, normally I would agree that, yeah, this would balance things out. Hooker doesn't have a good game. Stroud doesn't have a good game. Should balance things out, right? But from what I've seen from, you know, media members and other people who have an impact in the Heisman voting, they're like, 
oh, but the weather was bad for CJ. I mean, they're making all these excuses. Like as it was said, bad Tucker, for Hendon Hooker in the second half, wasn't it? Exactly. Yep. It was a yeah. downpour. But they're not saying those same things. They're saying, oh, the weather's bad for CJ Stroud. Oh, but he had those great runs at the end that got them, you know, this victory. I'm like, yeah, against a one in seven team. I mean, come on, a Hooker had to go play the top team on the road. And here's Stroud struggling against arguably one of the worst teams in all of FBS this season. I mean, you, you, I mean, to me, this should really put Stroud way behind. But instead, they're making excuses like, yeah, but the weather, yeah, but he's yeah, still at those Devin, you, you know why they're making these excuses? Because half of ESPN went to Northwestern. They're trying to hype up their team here. Yeah. <laughs> they want to give themselves some pride. I think there's a lot of factors. Uh, you know, I, I think mainly one of the other main factors is just Stroud was, let's just be honest about it, he was the Heisman favorite heading into the season from the start. And I think sometimes these voters fall in love with the guy before the season begins and they want that guy to win it. And unless they are so terrible, like Spencer Rattler, where it's like, okay, no, there's there's no justification for that. But if that guy is still in it, they like to give it to that guy. I think they just have a hard time letting go of him. Absolutely. So let's stay up north and talk a little bit about the other good thing that happened this weekend for Tennessee. Notre Dame's defense shut down number 4 Clemson 35-14 to in South Bend. They stormed the field down there in touchdown Jesus. Logan Diggs and Audrick Esteem both go for over 100 yards on the ground for the Irish. Uh, this game actually started off with a blocked punt for Notre Dame. Uh, they got a touchdown out of that. And later on, Benjamin Morrison had a 96-yard pick six to start the fourth quarter. So great defensive performance by Notre Dame. And Clemson just took a huge hit in their playoff contention. Yeah, that might that might mark the end for Clemson with that loss just because of how everything's shaking out with the rest of college football right now. And that Clemson offense has just looked abysmal. They cannot seem to get anything going consistently. It's been a problem for a while for them now. DJ hasn't been able to find that consistency with the team, and they're not really making any changes. Like like Devin always likes to say, they should they should try starting someone else at this point because DJ just can't get it done. Yeah, you know, here's the issue, too, with Clemson, is people love to point out the weakness of their schedule, which, I mean, it's fairly weak, but part of the problem is they play these games close. They play down to their competition level, mm-hmm. and you've just lost to a Notre Dame team that has also lost to Stanford and Marshall. Yep. You should not be losing to that team. I'm no. sorry, you shouldn't. No, and, and although... I mean, Notre Dame has gotten on more of a roll recently, but still, you're right. That's that's no excuse. Honestly, DJ, you're starting to remind me of another quarterback, a very famous quarterback here at Tennessee. Oh, boy. A, a quarterback <laughs> that we all remember, Jarrett Garantano. DJ has become Clemson's Jarrett Garantano, and this is what Dabo Sweeney deserves for keeping him in. Uh, you know, if this was Nick Saban, Saban would have already pulled him long before this even happened with all the talented quarterbacks on his roster. So just wanted to say that there. Yeah. And and the two running backs for Notre Dame, Diggs and, and Austin, this is back to back weeks where they've been incredible. They dominated Syracuse on the ground. Now they've had another dominant game. This offensive line that Notre Dame is always famous oh, yeah, for having absolutely. very great. I mean, you just look at the famous NFL players from Notre Dame on the offensive line. It, it's crazy. And they've now finally clicked together, which they were non-existent at the beginning of the season. And now the ground game for Notre Dame and the defense looks who very legit. Yeah, so Notre Dame obviously comes up with a big one uh, against Clemson. That was the first ranked uh team that we saw play this week in the ACC Atlantic. You had two play against each other. Uh, number 22 NC State took down number 21 Wake Forest 30-21. to uh, This was a fairly impressive performance from the NC State quarterback MJ Morris. 210 yards, three touchdowns. A lot of people thought the season was dead when Devin Leary went down. Uh, you know, it wasn't an, well, I mean it's hard to say because Wake Forest, I mean, they had a receiver, A.T. Perry, that went for 12 catches, 159 yards, and a touchdown, which is a solid performance. But at the same time, Sam Hartman has just become a turnover machine. The guy threw three interceptions, and this is a week after they turned it over eight times against Louisville. I think they're the ones that are falling apart instead of NC State. 
Oh, absolutely. It's just been miserable for Wake Forest as they've turned into this turnover machine because obviously if you don't hold on to the ball, you can't win games. That's three wasted possessions, and they're they're not losing by much here. So had they been able to convert on offense a little bit more and hold on to the ball, I think they definitely could have won this game pretty easily. But those turnovers, just huge momentum killers every time. Sam Hartman just cannot seem to get it together right now. But this has been a really impressive performance from MJ Morris. I, I was not expecting NC State to be able to stay in the rankings after losing Leary. It, their team for a while looked like everything had changed and there was no way. And now it looks like they can still manage to get themselves to a respectable bowl game. Well, I think MJ Morris gained a lot of confidence following that Virginia Tech victory. It was at home, late at night. You know, they managed to get a close one, and yeah, it's just Virginia Tech, and they've been terrible. But still, it doesn't matter. You win a conference game, it's your first victory. And I think he he really came into his own in this game as well. He's just continuing what he did against Virginia Tech, and now he's done it against an even better better team. So as he continues to have these good performances, his confidence getting higher, he really looks like he could become the guy for NC State, and they could still end up in a pretty darn good position at the end of the season. Yeah, we'll just have to see how things shape up for them. But, I mean, I believe they still got to play North Carolina down the stretch, so that's not an easy opponent to have to go through. Uh, but, you know, maybe things are looking good for NC State, better than people thought at least. Yeah, so, it looks more winnable at least. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, one other ACC matchup, Pittsburgh took down number 20 Syracuse 19-9. A uh, very ugly game here. Uh, Pittsburgh was out there starting running back Izzy Abanakanda, uh, so they started Rodney Hammond. He ran for 124 yards and a touchdown in this game, so solid performance here by the backup Uh, The issue for Syracuse is they do not look good without Garrett Schrader. Oh, absolutely. Schrader has been a game changer for this this Syracuse team, and he's been able to go out and win games for them. Their offense has looked incredible when he's on the field. But in this game, you know, if you don't have him, you don't win, as we saw today, or not today, but over the weekend. But Rodney Hammond, that was a great performance. Pitt has really turned into a running team, which shocks me because I thought with uh, the addition of... Keaton Slovis. Slovis, yep, that's the name I'm looking for. With the addition of Slovis, I really thought they'd be able to turn into a really solid passing team. And against Tennessee, they looked like more of a passing team, in my opinion. But these these two backs have just been incredible for Pittsburgh, and they've really changed how they've been able to play the game. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that Abanacanda is maybe the best running back in all of college football right now. I mean, there's a lot of guys that you could say, Blake Corum, Bijan Robinson, but... But Abanacanda is an incredible talent. And so them without him and still able to beat Syracuse here in this rivalry game, uh, just, you know, that's a really bad look for the Orange. I don't care that Schrader's out or, or not. I mean, that's that's still really not good for Syracuse. And they just continue to tumble and tumble after their yeah. magical start to their and, season. And part of it is... It's not just Schrader. I mean, Sean Tucker, since Schrader's been out, has not been a factor at all. And Sean Tucker, I believe, is definitely one of the best pro-style backs in all of college football. So with him being not productive either, without Garrett Schrader, you really don't have much of an ego on offense. Uh, So that was that game. Uh, Let's flip over to the Big 12. We've got a couple here to look at. Number 24, Texas, won at number 13, Kansas State, 34-27. to Texas led 31-10 to at one point in this game. Uh, the Wildcats had a chance to tie this one here at the end, but Adrian Martinez, unfortunately, would lose a fumble late in the game. Uh, Quinn Ewers, solid performance, 197 yards, two touchdowns. My man Deuce was solid for Kansas State, but Bijan Robinson was the star of the show. 209 yards and a touchdown on the ground, that... When you give up that much to one guy, it's very hard to win a game. Absolutely. Killer performance by him. And this Texas team has, they've really impressed me this season, to be honest. I didn't think that they would be back like everyone in Texas likes to say every single year. But I'm I'm legitimately buying the hype as I have been most of the season after seeing them play. They look like a good team and they look like they're headed in the right direction and they look solid. It doesn't seem like a fluke where they're just going to be good for one season. And I am starting to really trust Sark at the helm of this program. And I think that with Ewers, he's going to be able to do something special. So Texas is going to be one to watch out for. But this was a bit surprising for Kansas State to lose. They've looked like a great team all season long. And obviously killer offense, but just unfortunate for them to not be able to get the job done here. 
Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Texas, they've been very impressive. I mean, before the season started, I thought they'd probably have some improvement, probably go like 7-5 and five or so, and there'd be slow momentum. But it's happening quicker than I thought. Uh, the Longhorns, very, very overall good team. And Ewers... Yeah, not his, not his most impressive game, but I think he's still trying to find himself from, you know, his injuries and, and trying to still really develop chemistry with his receivers. But, man, Xavier Worthy is one great receiver that he's got there. And Bijan, of course, is impossible to tackle. So strong, uh, so agile, so well-balanced. A very, very difficult guy to yeah. break down. I mean, I think he's right up there with Jameer Gibbs as far as oh, guys yeah. with high draft stock uh, mm-hmm. this year. I mean, I think we could see this guy go first, second round easy. I mean, obviously running backs in the first round, not always the best decision, but he's going to be on a roster somewhere, and he's going to be playing uh, here pretty soon. Maybe maybe as an RB1, we'll see, but um, right now he could definitely be that nice third down back for an NFL team, I think. Oh, maybe even better. I mean, he, he really looks so good. I mean, I'm trying to think of who to compare him to. I mean, Jameer Gibbs to me is almost like, uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey or maybe Alvin Kamara. I've heard that comparison a lot. Yeah, those um, Bama guys. Yeah, but, uh, you know, but um, I'm trying to think of a good comparison for Robinson. It's hard for me to think of one because he's, he's physical too. It's not just the fact yeah. that he can catch it. He's physical. Uh, so... Yeah, Kansas State obviously took a loss, but there was another team from Kansas that got a win, and this was a big one. Kansas beat number 18, Oklahoma State, 37-16. to No Spencer Sanders in this game. Garrett Rangel was the starter for Oklahoma State. Threw for 304 yards, which is good. Two touchdowns, good. Three interceptions, bad. That's very bad. Uh, and then the star of the show for Kansas has got to be Devin Neal running for 224 and a touchdown on the ground. Also caught six passes for 110 yards, so that is just a monster day right there. And guys, the Jayhawks are bowling for the first time since 2008. We got what we wanted. Rock chalk, baby. Take those goalposts to whatever river exists in Kansas. I I believe it was a murky pond that they took them to. Yeah, I believe it was some kind of murky pond that they took them to on campus somewhere. You know, I just hope they didn't hurt the frogs in that pond. But take the the goalposts down the yellow brick road. It's it's a great time to be a Kansas fan if if you are one. Just incredible turnaround for this program under Leipold. And this just continues a trend over the weekend that we saw of insane running performances. College football, I feel like, is shifting the landscape yet again where running has become much more of a factor than it has at the highest level of the game uh, that we've seen in recent years because I feel like for a long time passing, not necessarily a long time, but for the past five years, I feel like there was such a high focus on passing that we kind of forgot that people run the ball in college. This is changing, it seems. I I keep reading these 200-yard performances that are absolutely absurd to hear about it's been a long time since people have ran the ball like that. Yeah, I mean, Neil is the real deal, all right? This performance was one of the most insane of the whole season. I mean, the the announcers just absolutely fell in love with him. Every time he touched the ball, they're like, oh, yes, there he is again. Uh, when a great running back takes over like that, it's one of the most beautiful things to see in football. It, it truly, truly is. Yeah, unfortunately, he didn't quite catch Joe Mixon, I believe, in PPR. That's, <laughs> yeah. I believe, somewhere around the high 40s. Joe Mixon got in 55 this week, so unfortunately, it was not the best performance by running back this week, but still a good overall performance for Devin Neal. Great for the Jayhawks to get to that bowl game. Uh, shifting over to the Pac-12, just one game for you. Washington took down number 23, Oregon State, 24-21. to uh, Huskies did not lead in this game until about 425 to go. But the issue here with Oregon State was they had their backup, Ben Goldbranson, in the game. Chance Nolan was not the starter. He did not throw the ball very well. I think it was just 87 yards that he threw for. Threw for. My bad. Um, but, yeah, just a very, very ugly day for Oregon State offensively. Honestly impressive that they were able to lead this game for so long. Obviously, uh, you mentioned the Huskies didn't lead until there was four minutes left to go in the game. And with this one, Washington just continues to claw its way back into that edge top 25 territory uh, where they were sort of sitting at the start of the season. And then they they took a couple losses, but they've been able to bounce back and Washington's looked like an impressive team. But Oregon State obviously just couldn't quite get the job done with the backup and unfortunate for them. 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing uh, that both of these teams were 6-2 and two heading into this matchup. I, I did not expect that at the start of the season with all of the uncertainty with the Huskies and, then of course, the Beavers. You never expect them to be super great. But Jonathan Smith is one of the best young head coaches in the game, and Kalen DeBoer has really made the Huskies an exciting team. Oregon State had some great running backs with Martinez and Fenwick, but, you know, just couldn't quite close it out, and Penix did just enough, uh, and the defense held Oregon State off just enough for them to come back in this one. I'd say an impressive comeback for the Huskies. Unfortunate for the Beavers that they couldn't have had Nolan in because then they would have won this game for sure. Yeah, this Pac-12 North race is shaping up to be pretty interesting because obviously you've got Oregon sitting high, but these two teams I feel like are not too far behind them. I mean, Oregon... And the Ducks still have to play both of them. They still have to play both, exactly. Washington plays them this week, and then, of course, the Civil War during rivalry week. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Oregon also has to play Utah, too, which is not going to be easy. Oregon's finish to the Um, schedule is very difficult. There's actually something interesting here. The Pac-12 decided to eliminate divisions in its conference for the 2022 season. So this race is a little bit weird for the Pac-12 because everyone's involved, not depending upon uh, division interesting yeah that's that's true i thought they were going to wait another year but yeah they decided like over the summer to get rid of division so we could see you know oregon versus washington in the champ it's unlikely maybe the the other southern teams usc and ucla are still ahead of Washington. well i mean they still played the schedule like it was a division so i guess we'll just treat it like that but i i mean Hey, if they do, they're doing away with divisions. I mean, they're just following the other trends around. I mean, that's kind of what the Pac-12 does. They're not really original in any way. They just follow trends. So uh, that's the Pac-12 for you guys. We have one more matchup to talk about this week, uh, and this it's the highest scoring game ever uh, in regulation. SMU outran Houston seventy-seven to sixty-three. It was 56-35 to 35 at half. And guys, let me just go through some of these stat lines here because they're just wild. Uh, Clayton Toon, the Houston quarterback, 527 yards, seven touchdowns, three interceptions through the air, 111 yards, and a touchdown on the ground for him. Tanner Mordecai, 379 yards, nine touchdowns, 54 yards and a touchdown on the ground. For Houston, their receivers, Tank Dell, Keyshawn Carter, Matthew Golden, and SMU's Dylan Goffney, they all had 100-plus receiving yards. Tyler Levine of SMU ran for 146 yards and a touchdown. Uh, wow. That's all I have to say. Yeah, reading all those stats gives me a massive headache. I don't know. I don't know I mean, what... It's the drunk game of all drunk games is what it is. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say about this game other than if you love offense, you're going to love this game. But, wow. Just, no, no appreciation for defense whatsoever. Yeah, just... Uh, if you're a coach, you have to be so mad at this game because you never want something like this to happen. It doesn't matter if you're an offensive-minded coach. You, you've got to be screaming at your guys after this one. How in the world do you let that happen it's ridiculous i <laughs> i don't know what to make of this one it, this is just an anomaly of a game nine touchdowns from one guy you hardly hear of nine touchdowns in one game what is happening yeah i mean if you were clemson you'd be hoping for at least nine touchdowns passes in the whole season uh, <laughs> no at kidding. This point. yeah that's um, what dj had last year was yeah. nine <laughs> yeah so i mean that's just crazy i mean tanner mordecai clearly moved up all-time great status in college football um, after this performance for sure. Uh, yeah, it's like NCAA 14, pull out the gaming consoles, get ready to go, put it on I don't even think I've difficulty. scored this much in a video game. <laughs> I don't think I have either, actually. So, yeah, very impressive. Uh, yeah, not much to say. Go watch the highlights of that one. It, you'll have a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely a very fun. Because unfortunately, I think a lot of people probably didn't see this game. It was on NFL Network. Yeah, which teams. is so weird. Yeah, yeah I I feel like I I didn't catch much of this game, but I feel like in the highlights you're just going to see yeah. the secondary, you know, picking dandelions out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's what it is. I that there's no, there's no other way to describe it. It's the secondary picking dandelions. I mean, really, the entire defense doing that. <laughs> if I had to say. Because, I mean, the linebackers and defensive linemen have to be involved in some way. So <laughs> they, they get on the fun of picking dandelions. So, yeah, that's that game. Uh, just an incredible display of offense. Uh, can't say the same about the defense. So 
Let's move over to our second segment. We're going to talk a little bit about some different Power 5 teams' paths to the playoffs. Uh, Some of these are a little bit more cut and dry than others, uh, but let's just jump into it. Uh, First of all, since this show is Neyland's Basement, since we are recording on the campus of the University of Tennessee, let's let's do Tennessee. Uh, what, What does Tennessee have to do, and what does it need from everybody else to get there? We are so lucky for what happened Saturday night after our game with Clemson losing and um, Alabama losing because it would have been quite hard to get in if had those teams won their games. But this has opened up a really nice pathway back into the playoffs. However, I think that what we really need out of this is TCU has to lose one of their games because as much as I'm a Tennessee fan, I cannot stand for the committee picking a one-loss team over an undefeated team in one of the Power Five conferences. Winning out in the Big 12 and going undefeated is very impressive, and as good as we are, and as much as I think we are a better team than TCU, they should be rewarded for doing that. There's no way around that. And so for me, TCU has to lose, and we just have to win out. And then I think we're in. Yeah, I I know a lot of people were way overreacting to Tennessee's loss. I mean, I I saw all kinds of comments from people, you know, after Tennessee lost, people saying like, oh, no, well, Tennessee has to hope that Alabama wins out or Tennessee has to hope that this and that. I'm like, I don't think people are fully understanding how this fully works. So basically, fortunately for Tennessee, because they beat Alabama and because they beat LSU, that makes it so much better for the volunteers to get in. Because let's say Georgia wins out, and they've just got to play, what, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Georgia Tech. So pretty likely. Um, and and then let's say they win the SEC championship over most likely LSU. Well, then you're looking at you know a two-loss LSU team Compared to a one-loss Tennessee team, when Tennessee beat LSU, even if they both were one-loss, Tennessee would still get in. So, really, there's still a pretty good path for Tennessee as long as we just focus on winning out and as long as Georgia wins out. Mm -hmm. It's really just as simple as that. Even with other things going on in the country, let's say TCU goes undefeated, you know, that takes away a spot. But fortunately, the big thing for this race is How is one-loss Tennessee going to compare to a one-loss either Ohio State or Michigan? That's what the big focus is. I think Tennessee would get in over those teams just based on strength of schedule because if we look at those two Ohio State and Michigan schedule, it's horrible this season, especially Mm -hmm. for Michigan. It's really, really lackluster. Yeah, because you played three of the worst teams in the FBS and non-conference. Yeah, and even the Big Ten... East as a whole has been very disappointing. It, it, it's, it's not just, been good. It's a two-team race. That's all it is. Yep. I mean, one of Michigan's best wins all season is against 6-3 and three Maryland, who, don't get me wrong, is a good team, but Michigan barely beat them at home. That's considered to be one of their better wins of the season. I mean, I believe only Ohio State and Michigan only have one ranked win on the season, and that's against Penn State for both of them. And impressive wins, but that's the only ranked win. Tennessee's beaten how many ranked teams at the time they yeah, played them? Pitts, Pittsburgh, Florida, Alabama, LSU. Kentucky. Kentucky. I mean, come on. That's just crazy. Yeah, for me, I think Tennessee definitely needs some help from other teams. I mean, I think TCU could definitely slip up. I mean, the, the way that they play, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's very dangerous. I mean, you have to outscore people to yeah. get the win. Yep. So, I mean, they really could, but I yeah. feel like even if TCU goes undefeated, Tennessee still gets in. Yeah, I mean, this week it's going to be tough for them to get through their game, but you know, maybe it'll happen. Maybe they could go undefeated. They'd have to beat some. They'd have to beat a good team twice mm-hmm. in order to get in, because that's just how it is in the Big Twelve. That's mm-hmm. just the nature of the beast. So you have that. Um, you know, Michigan, Ohio State. It, it feels like one of those teams is going to make it. So for sure, we mm-hmm. don't know which one it is, obviously, because that's going to be decided here in about two weeks. But yep, uh, one of those teams is probably going to make it. Oregon, we we know the nature of the Pac-12. This conference eats itself alive in every sport. So I don't feel I don't feel like Oregon is going to overtake Tennessee for that spot. And yeah, even if they do win yeah. out, and they again, we've said already, they have to play Washington this weekend. Yeah. Utah and then Oregon it's, State. It's so I mean, tough. That's tough. And then you have to win in the Pac-12 championship too. That's yeah, the issue there. Which could likely either be against USC or UCLA. Yeah, it's, and then obviously Georgia's in, but 
Yeah. Go ahead. What's interesting with Oregon is we have a direct comparison with Mm -hmm. them where they played against Georgia as well. And so I feel like if you're the committee and you see both these teams with one loss, you have to go with Tennessee just because we did not get absolutely decimated by Georgia. Yeah. And and while it was, you know, technically in a neutral site, um, it was more neutral than playing at Georgia itself. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's that's the big difference here. Uh, and, you know, they, they just looked miserable in that game. There was not a chance for Oregon to get in at Tennessee. There was definitely chances for Tennessee to oh, get absolutely. in it. Yeah. Obviously, the score is not indicative of that, but there were chances. Yes. Again, missing those two receivers there because, of course, Hooker got hit. Again, makes those throws. We're talking about a completely different game here. So, absolutely. Uh, I, again, what I worry about is the committee's going to say, well, because we know that there's a whole lot of, I want to say, I guess, politics. I guess that's the only way word I can use to describe it. That also Funny, factor it's into day. this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> uh, interesting. Yeah. Phrasing for me there. Yeah. But like, uh, but like, there's all sorts of other factors. Like, they might want to say, well, you know, we haven't let a team on the West Coast in. You know, we don't want to make those people upset. You know, we want to try to represent other regions of the country to increase viewership. So that goes into it. I think they also say, yeah, but Oregon's completely changed and they're a conference champion now. Tennessee isn't a conference champion. I mean, they're going to try to pull in these other factors, but I still yeah. think Tennessee. Hold, hold on a second. Dominic, you are a West Coast guy. Mm-hmm. Is the passion up there any anything similar to what you see down here? I so there is a level that is somewhat comparable. It's not the same at all. It's very different how it's gone about just because the West Coast and the West is much more chill in general. People are I, they talk slower. True. It's it's more of a chill vibe. So it's hard to directly compare, but the passion down here is just unparalleled and it's so much more present. In the state of Oregon, I do think you have some really good passion, especially with the rivalry with the Civil War, although I don't think it's called that anymore because it's Oregon. Yeah, exactly. um, I mean, the viewership from here is much, much more important because these people care so much more, and no one cares about USC. No one cares about UCLA. California people hate their teams. It doesn't matter what they are. They hate their teams. Yes, that's kind of what I'm going for here is like, I mean... While you want to keep some people happy, do, you, do those people really want to be happy is my question. No. And I, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at here. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty much all I wanted to go through with that. I just wanted to see what you guys thought for uh, playoff paths for Tennessee, but also for other teams and in, in doing so. We kind of ran through that. Um, I had Clemson on this list, but I think that hope is pretty dead by yeah. that point. Clemson's only hope is that North Carolina really – dominates the rest of their games and somehow ends up in the top 10 when they play them in the ACC championship, which North Carolina isn't too far away from the top 10. Uh, and so it is possible, but like, like Clemson, they lost to Notre Dame. Yes. That's yeah. Oddly enough. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's a very slim yeah. hope though. Yeah. That's all Clemson yeah. can hope Clemson for. more so needs other people to mess up. They than, really do. Yeah. yeah. Like they, um, they can't control their fate. Yeah. Uh, so that's all we're going to go through on this segment. Um, the rankings are actually coming out as we speak for the college football playoffs. We're recording here on Tuesday night. So y'all be sure to go check those out at home. Uh, moving on to week 11, uh, obviously not going to have rankings on here just yet because that stuff is still being determined as we speak. Uh, Big 10 first, Purdue at Illinois. Uh, the Boilermakers, they got humbled last week 24-3 to against an Iowa team that has not found offense all year. Uh, Purdue won last year in this game 13-9. to They have not lost to the, Ill- to the Illini since 2019. Is it going to happen this year? Will they lose? Give me the Illini, baby. I trust them. I, even after that loss last week, I still have good faith in Illinois and their ability to pull off a win, especially at home. And this Purdue team has just been, they've been too inconsistent for me to the point where I think this kind of matchup comes down to which team can find consistency. And I think Illinois is much more that team than it is Purdue. Yeah, you know, Purdue, they've been really disappointing for me this season. I remember when we first started out week one, I thought Purdue was going to make it to the Big Ten championship. I thought Aiden O'Connell was once again going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten, and we would see Buckeyes versus Boilermakers in the championship. That's 
clearly not going to happen anymore for Purdue. They've just been really disappointing for me. So I'm rolling with Illinois as well. They got the more experienced coach. They got the better coach here. They're at home. I think they bounce back strong and get a very impressive victory over Purdue. I don't really think this is all that close. Yeah, I like Illinois here too. I mean, Purdue has just been weird this year. They haven't Mm -hmm. done well against some of these traditionally good defensive teams. Like, I mean, Wisconsin ran all over them. Iowa did well against them too. And this is an Iowa team that has been terrible miserable yeah. on offense yep. i mean it's crazy how bad they've been this year they won seven to three in week one against south dakota state off of two safeties and a field goal that is not a touchdown i just wish it was five to three in that game i, still, I do I'm too i, I wanted the score agami <laughs> i wanted the baseball score so bad uh but yeah i'm gonna have to go with the Illini here too because purdue just has not performed well against some of these teams that have been you know traditional ground and pounds here in the big 10 west so give me the Illini. Uh, over to the ACC now, North Carolina at Wake Forest. The Tar Heels, bit of a close call last week up in Charlottesville against Virginia. Uh, 31-28 to was the final score in that game. Uh, North Carolina has won the last two matchups against the Deeks, 59-53 and 58-55. Uh, so some high-scoring affairs there. Do they keep the streak going against what has been a pretty inconsistent Wake Forest team as of late? This game really just comes down to who do you trust more throwing the ball? Is it Hartman or is it May? And to me, I got to trust May more. He's been doing a lot better, more consistently. And even in these games where they're throwing the ball so much, May has not thrown too many picks, and Hartman has just, it's been a turnover machine lately. So I trust North Carolina to get the job done a lot more than Wake Forest. But this matchup really just depends on which t- who decides to show up and be consistent uh, in the quarterback room. And I think it's going to be Drake May. I give me give me North Carolina. Yeah, I like that. I like that pick a whole lot. I like North Carolina to win this game. Drake May has been extremely impressive uh, this season for North Carolina. He's he's really proved me wrong. I was very mm-hmm. concerned about him, but with his strength and all of that. But doesn't matter. The kid can really sling the ball. So I like North Carolina to win this game as well. Yeah, I like North Carolina here. I don't think they're going to play great defensively against Wake Forest, but sometimes the thing with some of these not great defensive teams is their one way around that is forcing turnovers. And with Sam Hartman falling ill to the turnover bug, I don't think that Wake Forest will be able to compete as well in this game as they should. Mm just because of that. So I like the heels in this one Uh, over to the big 12 Kansas state at Baylor. The bears have not lost this one since 2017 and they actually beat Oklahoma up in Norman last week, 38 to 35. Uh, Do we think this is a trap, a a trap game for K state by any means? It definitely is. Uh, Kansas state had a really difficult week last week um, and Baylor. They're still, they're still pretty decent team especially at home in Waco. I think they do a really nice job. So this is going to be a tough game for Kansas State, but I really do like Kansas State, and I trust them completely in this matchup just because Martinez and Vaughn have been so productive on offense that it's going to be hard when the other team doesn't have a guy like, um, blanking on his name, the Texas running back. Bijan. Bijan. They don't have a guy like that to blow it up for Kansas State. So I think Kansas State wins this one with, with a degree of comfortability. Yeah, I think actually Kansas State wins this one as well. I'm going to be with Dom on this one, I, but I think it's very close, though. I don't think it's comfortable. I think it's going to be another one of these classic, really good three-point finishes in the Big 12, but I still expect the Wildcats to to kill the uh, beat the Bears here. I'm actually going to have to go with Baylor. Um, I, I just like the way they've played lately. It's not been pretty football. It's been very gritty. I mean, David Randa, defensive-minded head coach, that's what he brings to the table. I mean, nothing overly impressive on the offensive end for Baylor this season, I don't feel like. But, you know, Kansas State lo- slipping up at home against Texas, I think that's definitely a concern going into a road game. So I like Baylor in this one. I think they could definitely get it done. Uh. Last Big 12 game we got here, TCU at Texas. This is college game day this week. Uh, the Frogs, kind of like we mentioned earlier, they've just been outlasting people. They outlasted Texas Tech last week, 34-24. to uh, The Texas won this game last year, 32-27 to at TCU. Neither of these teams were anything spectacular last year. I mean, Gary Patterson's at Texas now for a reason. Uh, so who do we like here? You know, I want to say give me them crazy frogs, 
but it just feels like it feels like TCU has been running away from other teams more so than it has been them beating teams. And so this is a game at Texas in a great environment in DKR. I'm just going to have to say, hook them horns, baby. Yeah. I'm taking Texas in this one. Guys, I want to butt in here for just a second. Uh, Tennessee, the, the rankings are coming out as we speak. Tennessee is in at five. TCU is up to four. Uh, I think this was pretty well predicted, mm-hmm. but that's all I wanted to share. A lot of people thought Tennessee would slot in at four, but I really respect the committee's decision to put yeah. the undefeated I think team that, in. I think it's understandable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my opinion, that is absolutely the right choice. I would say TCU deserves to be at four and Tennessee deserves to be at five. No complaints from me on, on that front. I think Tennessee still has a good path to get in regardless. I will say, though, I think TCU wins this game. They stay undefeated because to me, this really comes down to the great quarterback matchup of Max Duggan versus Quinn Ewers. To me, Duggan is just one of the best quarterbacks in the whole country. Should be much higher up in the Heisman race. It's crazy to me that he isn't. He's been dominating all season long. So give me the Horned Frogs to win this one. You know what, guys? I like Texas here. Um, I think you know the home environment for this game is going to be a lot for TCU to handle. And, you know, the thing is, they were right in there with it, or right in there with Alabama back early on in the season, and, you know, probably had a decent shot to win that game if uh, Quinn Ewers does not go down with that injury. So, I like Texas to win this one. I think TCU hasn't really seen a great environment like what they're going to see at Darrell K. Royal Stadium this Mm -hmm. week. So, that's going to be my pick there. Uh, Transitioning to the Pac-12 now, Washington and Oregon, we alluded this game to just a little bit earlier. Uh, the Ducks won it last year, twenty-six to sixteen. They have not lost since twenty seventeen against Washington. Uh, last week they played Colorado. Of course, they had no problem, forty-nine ten win. I mean, Colorado's horrible. Let's face it. Um, this is essentially, yeah, I would call this the Pac twelve North Championship uh, as far as regular season goes. Uh, who do we like? Washington loves to play teams close. However, Oregon. Uh, Autzen Stadium is a very, very tough place to play. Oregon has been on fire lately. Bo Nix has looked miraculous. He's turning this into a Heisman campaign season as we continue to watch, and he's putting up incredible numbers rushing and passing. No more picks for Bo Nix, it seems. So I have to I have to roll with the Ducks here. I just don't think Washington has the ability to stop them. Yeah, you know, I mean, I wanted to say Washington was going to win this game. My dad is a Washington Huskies alum, and, you know, I I love the Huskies a lot, but, man, I can't go against the Ducks when they're at home here, especially with the role that they've been on. The fact that they know that the playoff is still in reach. Dan Lanning has been brilliant in his first year with Oregon. I got to say the Ducks are going to be winning this one. Yeah, I got the Ducks here as well. I mean, Oregon has been insane at home this year. It's they've not been the same team on on the road as they have been at home. They just unlock another gear at home. I mean, Bo Nix is suddenly responsible for six touchdowns in a game as opposed to the two he is on the road. So that's just what it feels like with Oregon this year. I I got to go with the Ducks in this one because the home field advantage at Austin is just too much right now. Uh, over to the SEC now. Um, this this game is the real Super Bowl of the SEC. <laughs> Texas A&M at Auburn. Both teams are sitting at 3-6. and six. Aggies have won the last two against Auburn. Uh, they did not look good last week against Florida. They lost that one 41-24. We all picked A&M to win that game, but I don't think we're going to own that because Connor Wegman did not play that game because it was announced like two hours before the game that the entire team had been suffering from the flu. So... That obviously came up, and then it was like, okay, Florida's winning this game without a doubt. Uh, on the other hand, Auburn had a great game against Mississippi State. They fell short, but they were down, I believe, 24-3 to at the beginning, came back, took it to overtime, fell short 39-33 in overtime in Coach Cadillac's coaching debut for Auburn. Who is going to win this one? This one's a tough one for me just because of how A&M played last week and Auburn looking a lot better now uh, with the new head coach. But I think that Texas A&M, when they have Weigman, I think they're going to be able to do good. However, this is Jordan-Harris Stadium, and Auburn, they want to win so bad. Their fans are dying for a win down there. I think that just the pure, raw ambition of that team right now is going to be able to overcome some adversity and win against Texas A&M and officially retire Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know what? 
I think Auburn is also going to win this game. I went to the car dealership. I said, give me a Cadillac here because I like Auburn to win this game against Texas A&M. They've been on a roll here. He's got the guys fired up. It seems like the players really want to play for Cadillac Williams. And, hey, uh, you know, a bowl game still within reach for Auburn. It, it's very unlikely, we'll as see. we know. I mean, it, they got the teams. Iron Bowl of eventually. Yeah. But you know what, though? They still got a chance. I think the players want to win for this guy and try to get him to become their next head coach. So give me the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, I'm definitely on Auburn here as well because since getting rid of Harson, I mean, Auburn was just playing free last week, and that's that's a good feeling. I mean, when you play like you have nothing to lose. So I've definitely got to go with Auburn here. I mean, Texas a and I don't know what the feelings are toward Jimbo Fisher. Probably not good, whatever they are. <laughs> Uh, but you're also paying this guy a ton of money, so it's like, what's going on here? So, give me Auburn. Uh, Georgia at Mississippi State. These two teams don't play very often. Uh, Georgia won this one 31-3 back in 2017. Are we even giving Mississippi State a shot? Maybe just a little. I mean, Mike Leach last week was folding up the wide receivers' chairs because he wouldn't let them sit down after their terrible performance against Auburn. And you just have to love Mike Leach. The guy's hilarious. And so that's why I have to give him a shot in any game they play. When you got such a wild card character coach like that, I feel like you can end up making some games into just really weird messes. However, I think Georgia wins this one easily, even though it's in Stark Vegas. But I think Mississippi State makes it interesting for like five minutes. You know what? I think Mississippi State actually gives Georgia a pretty tough challenge here. And I say that just because Georgia, again, I can't overlook their struggle against Missouri earlier in the season on the road. To me, that showed that Georgia is still vulnerable. Yes, they're coming off a huge win, but sometimes that can lull you back when you're coming into a game where you're expected to win by a lot. I do think Georgia still wins the game, but I think it ends up being uh, their last remaining really tough challenge of the season. Yeah, I'm going to go with Georgia here as well. I mean, maybe there's some magic in the cowbells, maybe. Uh, but, you know, overall, I don't think that they're going to be able to – Mississippi State's not going to be able to do what they want. I mean, if if they're holding Tennessee back, they're eliminating the big plays last week. I mean, Mississippi State, they should be able to do that just fine because, I mean, as we found out here in Neyland when uh, Tennessee played Kentucky – that Tennessee's offense is definitely not the same thing as an air raid. So I like Georgia to win this one. Uh, over to Fayetteville, LSU at Arkansas. Arkansas broke a five-year losing streak last year in Death Valley. Is LSU suffering from Bama hangover? I don't think so. Arkansas just has not shown me anything to give them any kind of trust. I have to trust LSU here, especially with Brian Kelly. I think he's. I think he's actually done a really good job over there, and I think – I think he's got that great coach mentality of every week's a new week, and he's going to be able to go out and attack this one and get his players focused for it. Because all that matters is he gets his players focused on the game they're actually playing and not the one they just played. And I think he's going to be able to do that just fine. Give me LSU. Oh, yeah, I like LSU to win the golden boot here for sure as well. The defense under Brian Kelly has really come alive, and I think they're going to force a couple of key turnovers, and they'll be able to win by at least a couple of scores against the Hogs here. Yeah, I like LSU here as well because Arkansas has just been very unpredictable this year. Now, that could work in their favor. We don't know. But I like LSU to win this one. I think they may start off the game a little rough, but in the end, Jaden Daniels is just such a versatile quarterback. I mean, KJ Jefferson is too, but I think at the end of the day, LSU will get it done. It could be a close game, but I like the Tigers here. Uh, Another big ranked matchup, and what is – I guess it's not anymore because LSU got the win last week, but Alabama at Ole Miss, this is a very decisive game in the West. Uh, Alabama won last year 42-21 to in Tuscaloosa. Of course, that was following the very infamous get-your-popcorn-ready moment from Lane Kiffin where he threw off the headset after uh, uh, talking to the CBS reporter before the game, and, of course, it did not go well for them. So, yeah, that happened. Uh, the Rebels were on a bye league. A, a bye week last week, so they've got they've had an extra week to prepare for Alabama. Guys, surely they're not going to lose three this year. I don't know about that. I this game's a bit hard for me to to call because Ole Miss they've been electric on the ground recently, and Bama's rush defense is they've been a little bit questionable here and there. So I 
I'm feeling Lane Kiffin in this one, to be honest. I think I think the Bama dynasty is crumbling as we speak. I think this is the fall of Rome. It's happening. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. Give me Ole Miss. Give me the Rebels. Ah, this is such a tough one for me to pick. I'm with Dom. This is maybe the hardest game for me to predict, honestly, because on one hand, you know, Ole Miss has been doing so well lately, running the ball. They're at home. They've had an extra week to prepare. But at the same time, it's Lane Kiffin. And man, <laughs> after what he said last season, it's so hard for me to trust him going up against Alabama. But you know, Saban, he's getting pretty old. And he doesn't seem to have any idea why his team is so dysfunctional. And until he figures that out, it's not going to be easy for the Crimson Tide to go on the road and win. So I've got Ole Miss winning this one as well. Uh I'm going to have to disagree with you guys here. I'm going to take Alabama. Uh, I I just think that, you know, after what Paul Feinbaum said this week about the dynasty potentially being over on ESPN, you know, you know Saban, obviously you don't want to listen to that stuff too much, but obviously he's going to have his team wanting to go out there and prove something. But the other thing is, Jackson Dart is not the same kind of quarterback that we've seen out of guys like Jane Daniels and Hendon Hooker this season. He's not that dynamic, fun quarterback to watch uh, that can do stuff with his legs. And, I mean, the RPOs, I mean, yes, they exist at Ole Miss, but Jackson Dart is a very turnover-prone quarterback, it feels like. And, you know, with this being a run-heavy offense, uh, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of what happened at Arkansas, too. Uh, they were a run-heavy offense, but they couldn't keep up with Alabama. They just simply couldn't do it. So I like Alabama to get this one done. Uh, I just I don't think they're going to lose two in a row and definitely not three in one season under Nick Saban. Uh, so last but certainly not least, Mizzou at Tennessee. Uh, the Vols have won the last two in dominant fashion. Jeremy Pruitt won it 35-12. to And, of course, last year, Tennessee – fired the defensive line coach for Missouri after running for over 400 yards on the ground. They won it 62-24. to Does it happen again this season? I think it certainly can. However, I think this Mizzou team is actually pretty good. They've been able to play some teams real close, but it's in Neyland. The Vols are going to dominate. They're going to go out, and they really, really want to make that statement that they are still an incredible team after that unfortunate loss in Athens. I think Tennessee puts up a lot of points on Mizzou. Yeah, what's funny is if Tennessee had beat Georgia, then I think this would have been a much closer game. But the problem is Tennessee loses that game, and they are angry, and they're coming home, and they want to take out their anger. They want to bully other teams, as they should. So, yeah, this is going to be a very similar result to the last two years. I think this game is pretty much over by halftime. Yeah, I, I see no way in which Tennessee loses this game. I just don't think Missouri has a guy offensively. I mean, Brady Cook has been very unimpressive for them this season. Tyler Beatty was obviously that guy on the mm-hmm. ground last year, and he was a great running back, but that was all they had on offense. I mean, it was. Yep. Luther uh, Burden could be that guy for him, but they just can't get him the ball enough. No, obviously they can't. And, you know, say what you will about their defense being able to contain people. We've seen that with other teams around the SEC, though. I mean, obviously Georgia was able to do it but I mean Kentucky they made Tennessee have a bit of an off day but Tennessee still scored 44 so at the end of the day they really didn't do their job so I like Tennessee to win this one pretty nicely I believe that spread is sitting at minus 21 right now uh I would I would definitely take Tennessee to cover that in a heartbeat so that is going to do it for us today on Neyland's Basement for Devin Hoke Dominic Throngard I am Tucker Harlan we will see you guys next week